A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and tonight I'm looking at the development of the mandate system uh, at the Paris Peace Conference um, as a result of the Wilsonian 14 points, um, the mandate that Woodrow Wilson created for his vision of, of a post-war world. The reason why I want to look at the development of mandates, which were the uh, former German and Ottoman colonies, which were then meant to be held in trust by the new League of Nations until they were sufficiently developed to uh, rule themselves. The reason why I want to look at these is because very often the League of Nations uh, and the Paris Peace Conference are taught really within um, the kind of the, the context of uh, the, the development of um, Weimar uh, and then Nazi Germany. The uh, impact of the um, Paris Peace Conference and the um, Treaty of Versailles on Weimar Germany and uh, its um, uh, the appeal of, of Hitler as, as a result of, of these things. So um, we, we really lose sight of the enormous world-altering significance of the mandates. If you imagine that three of the mandates, Palestine, Syria uh, and Iraq, uh, Palestine now uh, largely occupied by, by Israel, um, have, uh, you know, are, are, the, are the three of the kind of the most fundamental and um, important uh, and uh, uh, turbulent uh, zones of, of conflict in our world at, at the moment. Uh, much of this is explained by the way in which uh, these states were um, able to um, emerge from their respective mandates. Um, and also, it tells us an enormous amount about the struggle for uh, Anglo-French colonialism 
to sustain itself after the First World War and to 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 defend itself uh, against the, um, the the anti-colonial pressures uh, coming from America. From the the point of view of the the U.S., um, Adam Tuzer thinks makes this point very very clearly that uh, he doesn't see the fourteen points as a kind of a uh, a liberal blueprint for um, the the future governance of the world at all. He sees this as a uh, a, a document of American power. Um, the fourteen points, as far as, as Tuzer is concerned was a device to supplant European uh, colonial power with the power of kind of uh, American trade, um, uh, which America would have uh, an overwhelming uh, comparative advantage in uh, in the, uh, the, the post-war years, having eclipsed Britain as the dominant economy uh, in the world. So today we're going to look again at The Guardians by Susan Peterson, um, and we are jumping into the arrival of uh, Woodrow Wilson in, in Europe. Uh, and she writes, On the USS George Washington in the icy mid-Atlantic in December 1918, George Louis Beer felt the weight of the world on his shoulders. Beer, a 46-year-old former businessman and lecturer in British history at Columbia University, was part of the 100-man delegation accompanying Woodrow Wilson on his mission to bring Europe, uh, uh, bring to Europe a just and lasting peace. Beer had been the colonial policy expert uh, on the inquiry, that wartime cabal of American academics assembled to plan the settlement. His particular responsibility was to secure the free and open-minded and absolutely impartial adjustment of all colonial claims promised in the fifth of Wilson's 14 points. Annexation of the conquered German and Ottoman territories had been ruled out of the question, and through 1918, proposals had emerged to place backward or derelict peoples under international control. But it was still far from clear what the international system might look like. So here we have the the refusal by Wilson to allow European empires to expand, French and British empires to expand, but the idea of there being backward and derelict peoples unfit for self-rule, you know, inherently kind of colonial thinking in its own right. Margaret Macmillan, in her book The Peacemakers, writes that um, Wilson had large numbers of uh, very, very gifted and intelligent people on board the USS George Washington um, and, uh, and yet engaged with none of them. Wilson sort of essentially shuts himself away in his stateroom um, and no one could, could talk to him. Um, the, uh, those that do get to talk to him, when Beer eventually does get to talk to him, um, they find he's very, very vague and sort of um, speaks in, in broad principles, not in specifics. He hoped that the, the, the Germany's colonies might be handed, uh, might become the property of the League of Nations and be administered by a smaller non-imperial state, uh, perhaps uh, one of the Scandinavian countries. But to Bavoli agreed that Germany, there was no way Germany could have their colonies back. Nothing could be more ignoble than to turn over millions of helpless natives to the tender mercies of Germany. 
Neither men believed that uh, Africans were capable of any form of self-government, uh, both you know, deeply tainted by America's own uh, racial discrimination. Um, Beer wrote, The Negro race um, has hitherto shown no capacity for progressive development except under the tutelage of other peoples. Um, and he thought that this tutelage would have to be internationalised. You couldn't allow the British to just do it or, or, or the French. It couldn't be direct colonial rule anymore um, and uh, would have to be open to some kind of public scrutiny, um, which really uh, had this kind of emerged in the way that Beer was talking about, would have been a sort of a kind of a, a, a liberal colonialism, if you will. Um, he believed that there should be humane and progressive norms, but that ultimately self-rule was, was out of the question. Beer didn't think that the small nations of Europe were capable of doing this. Um, what could, for example, Norway uh, offer? Beer had all sorts of ideas about there being, in, indeed, taxonomies of, of Europeans. Um, that there were relative uh, it's different European nations and nationalities had relatively different um, kind of values. And, um, for example, he was shocked to see Germans and Magyars and, and Italians being sacrificed to people whose cultural value was infinitely less. Um, and he thought it far preferable to have Poles under German and Yugoslavs under Italians uh, rule than, than the contrary. Um, his ideas of uh, when it came to governing colonies, he thought that one nation had provided the model for the rest of the world to follow. Uh, and of course, by this, he meant Great Britain. He wrote, uh, as, as, a, as a scholar of, of British history, um, and this perhaps indicates why Britain manages to do so well when it comes to the question of mandates, better than um, uh, they had expected. Native rights were the most carefully and effect effectively protected in British colonies, he wrote. Um, he also thought that Britain was the power most committed to those free trading economic policies that the US also endorsed. So Britain might be quite a helpful junior partner managing colonies around the world in, in Beer's um, uh, thinking. And also, if Britain was committed to free trade, they could make sure those colonies were open to American goods. Um, and perhaps, uh, if nothing else, even if Britain didn't become directly involved, then the League of Nations could model Britain's example and run things in basically the same way. British politicians and internationalists and humanitarians um, were very keen on, on this idea and saw opportunities for Britain to be the power that was um, delegated to run mandates on the part of the League of Nations. Susan Peterson writes, By the time Wilson sailed, the British were, metaphorically speaking, in the mid-Atlantic, ready to greet him. The continental settlement reached at Versailles heavily shaped by French interests and anxieties, would seek above all to contain Germany. The colonial settlement, however, was an Anglo-American product. It looked the way it did because the British were so desperate for an American alliance, but also because American preferences and ideals 
could be reconciled most easily with British imperial practices. But if the affinity between American and British interests uh, structured the mandate system from the start, it also left the system more vulnerable when the Americans pulled out. By late 1919, the French were openly seeking to subvert an international regime that they perceived, rightly, to be structured against them. The mandate's regime that was born at the Paris Peace Conference was nearly dead by 1920. Most European uh, states, um, both victors and vanquished, um, had little belief that uh, anything particularly high-minded was occurring uh, as a result of the Paris Peace Conference. There had been two centuries of um, great power colonial um, exchange of um, the great powers of Europe um, swapping um, colonies, islands and interests uh, around the world as a result of, um, of warfare. Um, and it was generally believed that had Germany won the war, Germany would have extracted immense colonial con- uh, concessions from the, the vanquished powers. Um, so while German armies were fighting uh, in Belgium, Dominion armies um, were moving into Germany's colonial possessions. Germany's um, Samoan islands uh, were surrendered to a landing party of New Zealand troops on the 29th of August 1914. The phosphate island of Nauru, for example, uh, was turned over to the HMAS Melbourne on the 9th of September. And some three weeks later, after a short fight, the capital of Germany's holdings in New Guinea in the Bismarck archipelago fell to the Australian naval force. The Australians also pressed forward to the equator, only to discover that the Japanese had already sent warships to capture the Caroline, Mariana and Marshall Islands. By mid-October, all Germany's Pacific possessions were in Allied hands. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Um, Germany and Britain fought a long and catastrophic war in Africa. 
Um, there is an excellent book on this called Tip and Run, um, which shows um, around the, the African uh, Great Lakes the uh, unbelievable devastation uh, done uh, and the, uh, the, the loss of life to uh, African soldiers and colonial troops alike, far, far greater on the part of African soldiers. Um, Susan Peterson writes, Ousting Germany from Africa took longer. British and French troops swiftly occupied Togoland and the Cameroonian port of Douala, but the well-equipped German forces in the interior resisted. Not until early 1916 would they pass into Spanish territory. The South West African campaign ran into trouble too, with some troops mutinied rather than take up arms against fellow whites. Only in spring 1915 was a new invasion mounted and Windhoek taken. Um, the campaign for German East Africa um, proved most troublesome at all, of all. For four years, the clever German general Paul von Lettow Vorbeck and his capable African Askaris tied up British and South African forces in a guerrilla campaign waged throughout East Africa. That campaign and the opportunistic seizure of Rwanda and Burundi uh, by a rapacious, rapacious Belgian force left famine and devastation in its wake as uh, the colonial wars in Africa um, were wont to do. It's interesting to observe um, in uh, terms of examining, in, in critical terms, colonial uh, practices, what happens next. Very quickly, the occupying powers, far from being uh, liberated, began, begin to operate directly in colonial, uh, colonial manner. Um, South Africa extended its rail line north and began handing out land to white settlers. Australia doubled the number of New Guinean indentured labourers on seized cupra plantations. By 1916, when the British government first appointed an interdepartmental um, committee to think through policy towards the captured territories, annexationist sentiment was strong. Although the representative um, from the general staff warned that the balance of power required a strong Teutonic state in Central Europe and that Germany would become resentful and hard to manage if not accorded a colonial sphere, his objections were swiftly quashed. Whether to amplify imperial holdings, as with Germany and East Africa, to provide booty and buffers for the dominions, uh, as with the Pacific territories and South West Africa, or simply as bribes for importunate um, allies, the plan for Togo and Cameroon, the German colonies should all be retained, a decision confirmed by the War Cabinet Committee on Territorial Desiderata um, in the spring of 1917. So um, the, the, the British Empire, and the French as well, continued to function as they always had done, uh, and there was no reason to imagine that they would, they, they would function in, in any other way. They certainly weren't going to give Germany its colonies back, even if certain uh, people in the Foreign Office uh, thought this was a good idea to prevent the possibility of a kind of uh, revanchist Germany. In, in reality, when revanchism uh, emerged in the guise of Hitler, Hitler was not really very interested in Pacific colonies or parts of Africa. 
Hitler took the view that Germany's colonial future lay in Russia uh, and that uh, Lebensraum would be gained by extending all the way up to the uh, River Volga. Um, the term that was used in the Foreign Office was what we have, we hold. French society was, of course, mainly focused on the carnage and destruction uh, wrought on, on French soil uh, and the de desire for, uh, for revenge. Um, in, in 1917, the uh, future of German colonies um, was decided by a, a series of officials and, and, and lobbyists um, and who who meet with um, Belgian colonial officials, um, and they recognise that uh, the uh, control uh, of um, Germany's colonies in Africa would be easy were it not for um, the British, um, the British who have a, a rather irritating habit of devising international agreements and treaties that would bind uh, uh, France's hands to do what France wished in um, Africa and perhaps to uh, fully uh, annex um, colonies, former German colonies, directly into the French Empire, none of this kind of mandate uh, business. Um, and the fact that the uh, British were quite close to the Americans and the, and, uh, the Americans are, if anything, even more wary of France's empire than they are of the British. Of course, German colonies aren't the only, uh, the only prize, and in, in many ways, the division of the Ottoman Empire, which is something that Lloyd George was very, very keen on and saw as a chief war aim, um, unlike most of the rest of the war cabinet, uh, was uh, so a play, uh, something that the British and the French had been colluding on since 1915. So Susan Peterson writes... The Allies were also dismembering and squabbling over the Ottoman Empire. The secret Treaty of London of April 1915 brought Italy into the war with promise, with the promise of parts of southern Anatolia as well as equitable compensation in Africa while leaving the Middle Eastern provinces to Britain and France. All powers, however, found it hard to make good on these plans. Britain's Indian army had attacked Mesopotamia early in the war only to find itself mired in a draining campaign that would last four years and cost over 90,000 mostly Indian casualties. New surrogates were needed, and in 1915 one was found in Sharif Hussein, ruler of Hejaz, restive under the Ottoman overlordship, and willing to lend Britain in aid in exchange for recognition of his own sovereign claims. So here we get into some very complicated stuff. Um, uh, Sharif Hussein of Mecca, at the same time, um, that Britain and France um, are uh, promising one another the division of uh, Mesopotamia, Syria and Palestine. Sharif Hussein is offered all of Arabia, everything from the, the tip of the Arabian Peninsula all the way up to the borders of Turkey. So all um, uh, everything including uh, Palestine, Syria, uh, what becomes Jordan uh, and, and Iraq. Um, and the uh, the British essentially lie to him through this thing, the, the, these letters, the McMahon correspondence um, with uh, Sir Henry McMahon. 
who was the British High Commissioner in, in Egypt. Um, and here we see the kind of the story of uh, T.E. Lawrence and Lawrence of Arabia. What results is, of course, the uh, Arab Revolt. And the British and French uh, bicker with one another constantly throughout this time. The British had no intention of allowing Syria to fall into French hands. And at the end of the First World War, the British uh, allow and even encourage the uh, Arabs to seize Damascus. Uh, the reason why they do this is because they believe that the Arabs, uh, led by Sharif Hussein, were, if they manage to conquer Syria and, and seize it from the Ottomans before the French get there, that they will be sort of useful dupes that, could, that the British can rule. The British would be able to say to the French, listen, the Arabs have liberated themselves, you have no right to go there as their colonial masters. Unfortunately, sorry chaps, you didn't get there first. Uh, and the French knew this um, was exactly exactly the game the British were playing. Uh, and in a way, um, Britain's games here, and Britain's attempts to stop the French from claiming the colony that they believed that was rightly theirs. The French had all sorts of romantic associations uh, with with Syria. Um, was uh, a part of what initiated the, the, the immense violence the, uh, against Syrian nationalists that the French suspected and feared um, after France is actually given Syria as a League of Nations mandate which they essentially view as a colony and, and proceed to rule it as thus. Susan Peterson writes, In France, Robert de Caille, uh, an aristocratic Catholic secretary of the powerful and well-connected Committee de la Zie Française, um, noted that the Anglo-Arab uh, Anglo alliance with trepidation. France had powerful interests in the Levant. Um, by 1914, France had, the, had guaranteed the autonomy of the Christian community of Mount Lebanon for half a century. French companies handled much of the silk trade. France had become the lingua franca for the educated class, and there were 40,000 children enrolled in French schools. Now, the Kai's, um imperial lobby ha hoped to bring the whole of Syria, and if possible, Palestine too, under France's wing. But France had no troops to spare for Middle Eastern adventures, and had used, uh, and had used diplomacy to stake its claims. This is essentially true. The, the, the British um, do the bulk of the fighting in the, the Middle East other than France's involvement in the, the Dardanelles campaign. So um, being able to um, claim colonial, um, colonial uh, territories in the former Ottoman Empire is quite difficult. And the British eventually, in 1916 long before their decision to aid uh, the Arabs into Damascus, uh, provisionally uh, agree in the Sykes-Picot Agreement to uh, allow the, the French to control Syria in return for British control of Mesopotamia, which the British believed in oil terms was much, much more valuable. So um, we'll we'll pause there, and I think we'll continue to look at mandates um, over the next few months or so, because it's a very very important story um, as the kind of the long shadow of colonialism and imperialism 
that uh, was cast over the 20th century and into the 21st uh, perpetuates. Um, if you check out the explaininghistory.org this week, there's a few things on, on the blog that you might find interesting. Um, a couple of um, little extensions to some of the podcasts we've done recently, and a little bit of video. And you can always find us at Patreon uh, if you want to check us out and uh, sponsor us. There's some exclusive content going on Patreon at the moment uh, about the the kind of the, the schism within American conservatism that has brought us so much insanity of late. Um, thanks very much. All the best, and I'll catch you soon. Bye bye. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.